2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 11 to 22 today. It says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So about a month, month and a half ago, I get this email uh, from this company that I kind of followed on Amazon, and they had this great offer. Um, it was absolutely free, no strings attached. Uh, you could get this free LED touch light. And it was kind of cool. You you know press it once, and it would be a white light, and you could change the brightness. Uh, also, you could make it different colors. And it's worth like $15, $20. All you had to do is uh, purchase it on Amazon and then go on this, uh, fill out this form, and then they would credit you uh, on Amazon for the amount that you paid. So I'm like, that's pretty cool. It's cool light, no charge. So I, I signed up for it, waited for the light to come, and um, I w- it was a busy time, so I didn't really have time to open it and mess around with it. Um, so I was kind of waiting for the right moment to, 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 to open it and check it out. And finally I opened it, I, I got my son, and I was like, hey, you want to see Dad's new special light? And he, you know, he gets excited about lots of things like that. And so he comes over, and um, I go and I plug it in, and I touch it, and nothing happens. And I just keep tapping it, tapping it, tapping it, nothing happens. So then I'm thinking, maybe this outlet is no good. So I go to a different outlet. Tap, 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 doesn't work. Go to another outlet. Tap, 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 doesn't work. So I really wanted this light to work. I mean, I really, really wanted it to, to work. So I went online and was looking for a user guide and trying to check it out to see if I could find the user guide. Um, and there was no user guide. However, um, there was, uh, I found in the reviews, I found... Um, that someone had kind of explained how it works. However, um, I tried it out. It just didn't work. I tested it out, and it just wouldn't work. And so finally I realized, this is broken. It's not working. It's useless. I mean, it was a great idea. I mean, it was a great thought that um, they would create a light like this and send it to me for free. However, it didn't help me because... It was useless. Now, think about Christians and Christianity in the 21st century. We face a lot of threats as Christians. I mean, there's a lot of threats from without. 
You know, we have a world that's opposed to us in many ways. A world that increasingly sees us as um, foolish, maybe even hateful. Uh, A world that wants to indoctrinate us in its ways. It's a world that comes at us with many trials and temptations. And yet I don't believe that any of these things are the greatest threat to Christianity today. I truly believe that the greatest threat to Christianity today is a Christianity that is theoretical rather than transformational. The greatest threat to Christianity today is a, is a Christianity that's theoretical rather than transformational. Maybe you question that. Maybe you think there's other things that are greater threat to Christianity. Well, consider some of the damage that a theoretical Christianity has caused. Think back to the time of slavery. Now, you would think that Christians would be the ones who would speak out most strongly against this evil institution of slavery, and yet many Christians actually tried to support slavery using biblical arguments. One minister at the time declared slavery to be an institution of God. I mean, it's incredible that Christians would do that. But it's a theoretical Christianity, not a transformational Christianity. They went along with the status quo rather than doing what was right for the sake of economic gain. You fast forward to the 1930s in Germany. In the 1930s in Germany, 95% of people would claim to be Christians. And yet Hitler rises to power with clearly anti-Semitic and uh, just terrible views And yet, by and large, the church just goes along with them, without hesitation. And why did they do that? They did that for the sake of economic gain. Germany was reeling from World War I still. They were just struggling. Hitler comes along, and he says, I can make Germany into this great country again. I can give you jobs. I can give you financial security. And rather than speaking out against injustice... They just go along with them. Hitler, for his part, just despised Christians. And he believed that Christians would give up their faith for the sake of economic gain. And in many cases, he was actually right. He said, do you really believe the masses will be Christian again? Nonsense, never again. The tale is finished. No one will listen to it again. We can hasten matters. The Parsons will dig their own graves. They will betray anything for the sake of their miserable jobs and incomes. That's theoretical Christianity, not transformational Christianity. And sadly, I think that this trend continues in our day where there's millions of people who would call themselves Christians who don't believe much of anything that Jesus actually taught. But today I'd like to talk not primarily about what's happening out there or what happened in the past, but I'd like to talk about what happens in our hearts, that we often have this tendency to become theoretical Christians rather than Christians that are transformed by Christ. And yet the Apostle Paul in this passage demonstrates for us that this phrase, Jesus changes everything, that we talk about a lot, it's not just some theory It's not just something that we say, it's something that actually influences life. And he's going to describe three ways that the gospel or Christ transforms us. Number one, he's going to tell us that 
The gospel gives us a transformed mission. Paul says this in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul tells us the goal of the gospel is that a radical transformation would happen in light of Christ's love. And that is that those who are believers in Christ would no longer live for themselves, that we'd no longer be on the throne of our lives, that we would realize that Christ is the one that we need, that he's the one who satisfies. And yet many Christians today are not living for Christ. They're living for themselves. And the only difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is a Christian goes to church. It's all about my pursuit of happiness. It's about my kingdom. It's about my joy, about what makes me feel good. And yet the gospel is meant to transform us. It's meant to free us from this desire to please ourselves. We find our joy in Christ, and we serve him and serve those around us. If you've ever been to New York City, you know that there's a lot of subways, and in those subways, it's kind of a complex labyrinth of of different tunnels and rooms. There's a lot under there. Recently, authorities discovered something pretty interesting beneath the subway, between uh, tra- under uh, track 114. The MTA inspector general summed it up in a recent statement. He said, many a New Yorker has fantasized about kicking back with a cold beer and a prime piece of Manhattan real estate especially one this close to good transportation. But few would have the Chutz Pot or Camondeer a secret room beneath Grand Central Terminal and make it their own man cave, sustained with MTA resources and maintained at our rider's expense. So what happened was authorities say that uh, there were three employees, MTA employees. There was a wireman, a carpenter, an electrician. And what they did was they kind of constructed a man cave in this secret passageway underneath the subway. And so when they were supposed to be working, they would go to this room and they would just kind of make, make this awesome room and it had um, a big screen TV and a recliner and it had exercise equipment. And whenever they wanted to just take a load off, they would just go there and hang out in this man cave. And of course, people weren't happy about this and they only found it after, you know, there were a few tips that gave it, gave it away. And, of course, they were suspended, and there, there was a whole investigation about how the rooms were utilized and whatnot. But you think about that, and they hired these men who had specific skills, a wireman, a carpenter, an electrician, and they hired them to maintain the subway for a specific purpose. And yet they used the skills and the gifts that they had for their own devices to create a man cave to hang out, to goof off when they should be working. And I think sometimes similar thing happens in the church. When God saves us, he gives each and every one of us spiritual gifts. He gives us gifts, skills, and abilities to use for his glory and for the good of those around us. But oftentimes we use those skills and our gifts not to build up the kingdom of God, but to build up our own kingdom for our own devices. Rather than asking, how can I serve Christ? How can I honor him? We ask, what is in it for me? And that's the the approach of most people when it comes to even the idea of church. The question they ask is, how can the church serve me? How does the church meet my needs? And many, unfortunately, look to the church to meet their needs rather than to Christ. Christ is the one who came and served us. 
Christ is the one who gave everything for us. So we're to find our delight in him. We're to find our rest in him. He's the one who meets the deepest needs of our soul. And so Paul explains that the gospel transformed us and that we have a new mission. We're no longer living for ourselves. Now we live for Christ because he gave everything for us. He goes on and he explains that the gospel produces a transformed identity. Look at what it says in verse 17. He says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Behold, the new has come. If you are a believer in Christ, you're not the same man or woman that you were before. All the regrets, all the sins of the past are no more. And some of us have trouble leaving those things behind. Maybe the guilt of yesterday just kind of follows us and we can't do what God has called us to do because we're still living in the past. Maybe the hurt of yesterday has kind of got a stranglehold on our hearts. And we can't be the people that God wants us to be because we're living in that past reality. And for those of us who are believers, we need to realize that Christ has made us new. We're not the same people that we used to be. We don't live in the past. We live in the present and the future of what God is doing in our life. And he's doing something amazing and beautiful. So that's an important truth. And some of us struggle with that identity as we're living in the past and not who Christ has made us to be and what Christ is going to do in the future with us. So that's an important truth. And often when we look at this passage and specifically this verse, that's kind of the application that we take from it. And rightfully so. But in this particular context, when Paul is talking about the new creation in Christ, he's not talking primarily about how we view ourselves. He's talking primarily about how we view other people. And we always think, all right, I'm a new creation in Christ. And that's, that's true. We are new in Christ. But he's talking about how he views other people. He says that he used to view people according to the flesh. Paul says in verse 16 again, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. In short, the gospel transforms not only our identity, but also how we view people, how we view other people. There's this tendency that we have in our hearts to view people according to the flesh rather than according to what God has done. What does that look like? It can take a number of different forms. Number one, it can mean seeing people uh, according to what they have or what they don't have. We can judge people based on the car that they drive, the home that they live in, maybe the intelligence that they possess, maybe by their outward appearance, how they dress, what they wear. And we can judge people on these external things rather than having a true judgment. Another way we can do this is uh, by seeing people according to physical distinctions, It can mean judging people based upon their race, their upbringing, maybe even based upon where they live. James talks about, in the book of James, James talks about kind of the evil of this kind of partiality. And he says this in James chapter 2. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wears a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over here, over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
That's viewing people according to the flesh, viewing people by uh, how much money they have, how they look, where they come from, what their background is, what they look like physically. It can also mean seeing people according to who they were rather than who they are and who Christ is making them to be. Sometimes maybe we judge ourselves harshly and live in the past in regards to our own mistakes, but sometimes we also do that with other people. Sometimes we judge them. Sometimes maybe we knew someone before they were a believer, and maybe we know their past, we know their history, and rather than encouraging them and seeing them as the new creation that God is making them to be, maybe we kind of have that image of them in the past, and we kind of keep them in the past by how we view them. And we judge them as that broken sinner rather than the saint that God is making them to be. Finally, we can do it by seeing people according to the labels that we've created for them. It's another way of seeing people according to the flesh. We have this tendency to label people a certain way. Put them into kind of categories. And oftentimes those labels are completely wrong. And even if they're not wrong... It's impossible sometimes for people to kind of break out of those labels. So, for example, maybe we label somebody as lazy, or uh, maybe we label them as deceptive, inconsiderate, liar, immature. And we give, these, give someone a label like that, and then sometimes what happens is that we can see that label in everything that that person does. Everything that they do, we see that label. So... For an example, let's say that you're sick, and I say, I'm going to bring you dinner tonight at 5 o'clock. 5 o'clock comes, 5.30 comes, I don't show up. Now, what do you think about that? What do you, what's going through your mind? It probably depends on what you think about me. If you think that I'm lazy, you, maybe you think to yourself, well, he must have had something else that he wanted to do. He's probably home watching TV, just didn't want to make dinner for me. If you think I'm a liar, maybe you think to yourself, well, I knew he wasn't going to show up. I mean, he says that he's going to do things all the time, and he doesn't do them. If you think that I'm selfish, maybe you think to yourself, well, he only cares about himself. He's probably focused on his own stuff. He doesn't care about the fact that I'm sick. If you think he's, that I'm inconsiderate, maybe you think, well, he's just running really late. If you think I'm immature, maybe you think, well, he just forgot about it. He said he was going to do it. Maybe he meant to, but he just completely forgot about it. Now, what maybe is the reality? Maybe, maybe I got sick. Maybe I got in an accident on the way to bringing you dinner. Maybe I'm in the emergency room. Maybe my car broke down, my phone died, and there's no way I can contact you. Maybe the food that I had made fell on the floor, and I'm rushing with all of my strength to got, try to get some new food for you so you have something to eat. But we often tend to see the label. We see what we want to see because if we have this image of who someone is, then it's hard for them to even break out of it, even if it's not true. Uh, Missionary and author and speaker Elizabeth Elliot puts it this way. She says, we create images, graven ones, that can't be changed. We dismiss or accept people, products, programs, and propaganda according to the labels they come under. We know a little about something, and we treat it as though we know everything. And this, again, is not to say we shouldn't exercise discernment, but when we put these strong labels on people, we don't give God the freedom to work. We don't give God the freedom to change someone. 
Because that person is always inconsiderate or lazy or selfish or whatever the label may be. We just define them that way. So how should we view people according to the gospel? If someone is a believer in Christ, they're a child of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God has made them near. There are new creations in Christ. They may not be where they need to be. Maybe God is still working in their life, but God is conforming them into the image of Christ. And it's our job as believers to see them and to encourage them into that image. Maybe, maybe there's brokenness there, but we need to pray for that person, encourage them, challenge them. Be who God is making you to be. And so we do everything that we can to encourage them, to pray for them and challenge them. To live up to that image of what Christ has made them to be. And for those who are outside of the community of faith, who are not believers, we view them as people who need to come home. And so we pray for them too. Paul states that Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, we're called to share the gospel with those around us, to encourage those around us to have a relationship with Christ. And so Paul demonstrates in this passage that the gospel produces a transformed identity, that we're no longer the same people that we used to be. He's made us new. We are new creations in Christ. But also, those who are believers in Christ are also new. And so we no longer regard people according to the flesh. Everything is new in Christ. The final thing that Paul Paul says uh, influence us is the way that the gospel influences us is the gospel produces a transformed heart. Verse 21 says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse speaks of the great love of God, whereby he sent his son to the earth to live a sinless, perfect life and to die on the cross for us. And it speaks of the great exchange, as theologians say it. Theologians talk about this great exchange where our sin, we're all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin is imputed or given to Christ. It's credited to Christ. And Christ, as a free gift, gives us the gift of his righteousness. So that when God sees us, he no longer sees the broken sinner who made all these mistakes. He sees the perfect righteousness of Christ and we can have a perfect relationship with him. And so that's a positional thing. We put our faith in Christ and he transforms us. He declares us righteous. It's not our own efforts. He declares us righteous, but then he starts to change us. We start to become righteous. He gives us his Holy Spirit to live inside of us, to make us new. And it starts at the foot of the cross. It starts as we see the one who gave everything for us. It starts as we understand sacrificial love. There was a young boy named Mark. He was in, I think, third grade. And uh, one day, his mother got a call from his teacher. It was middle of the afternoon, and the teacher said, I just wanted to let you know your son has done something. I've never seen any child do this before, and I thought I just had to tell you right away. So, of course, the mother's kind of nervous. What did he do this time? The teacher goes on and says, well... I do this assignment every year, and it's a creative writing assignment, and so what I say is there's this ant, and there's a grasshopper. And so they go throughout the whole summer, and throughout the whole summer, the ant is really diligent. The ant prepares food for the wintertime. He stores up all that he needs to make it through the wintertime. The grasshopper doesn't do that. The grasshopper just kind of 
messes around, doesn't prepare for the future. And so winter comes, the grasshopper doesn't have anything to eat, but the ant has plenty to eat. And then I tell the students, okay, finish the story. It's a creative writing assignment. She said, your son, Mark, he asked to draw a picture. I said, okay, you can draw a picture, but you need to finish the story first. The teacher goes on and says, well, I've been doing this for several years, and every time I do this, I get a variation of two endings to the story. Uh, most students say, well, the ant decided that the ant was going to share with the grasshopper, and then they both survived throughout the winter. And occasionally I get a story about how uh, the ant tells the grasshopper, well, you should have been more diligent, you should have uh, prepared, and now you're going to face the consequences of that. So those are the kind of two stories that I usually get, but you, your son told a different story. Your son told a story about how the ant gave all that he had for the grasshopper. And the ant died, but the grasshopper lived. And at the bottom of the page, he drew a picture of three crosses. It's a child who understood sacrificial love. And here's the thing. When we understand sacrificial love, it changes us. God's Holy Spirit comes inside of us and we have a new heart. We, we started by talking about the greatest threat to Christianity. The greatest threat to Christianity is a theoretical Christianity versus a transformational Christianity. But theoretical Christianity becomes transformational Christianity at the foot of the cross. When we see the love of God that's poured out for us, it changes everything. When we see that God loved us so much that he would give his most, important, most prized possession, his only son, so that we might have life, so that we could have a relationship with him, we can't leave that place unchanged. As we see our sin and brokenness poured out on Christ, we can't help but well up with gratitude and love for God. We want to please God, not because we're trying to earn our salvation, but because of what Christ has done for us, because he's given everything for us. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't be theoretical Christians. In fact, I think the Bible teaches that there's no such thing as a theoretical Christian. If you're not transformed, the Bible says you don't know Christ. For to be to meet Christ is to be changed by him. And so maybe there's someone here who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. Maybe you're theoretically, maybe you call yourself a Christian, but you've never encountered Christ at the foot of the cross. And maybe today is the day where you turn from your sins and put your faith and trust in him and say, Christ, I need you in my life. I need your forgiveness. I need your love. I need you to transform me. I can't do this on my own. Others of us are believers, and we have been transformed by Christ. It's clear that we're not the same people that we used to be. But maybe that transformation has kind of stopped. Maybe it's kind of halted. Maybe we've kind of grown complacent. Maybe we've been trying to do things on our own. Maybe we think we have it all figured out. Maybe we think that we could do it on our own. If that's the case, we need to return to our first love. We need to return to the foot of the cross because it's only at the foot of the cross that transformation reaches the depths of our heart. It's only when we encounter Jesus on the cross, the one who gave everything for us, that we can have a transformed mission, a transformed identity, and a transformed heart. It's only by experience Jesus at the cross.
famous missionary Amy Carmichael to, the, to India once said this, hold us to that which drew us first when the cross was the attraction and we wanted nothing else. Mark 15 says this, the soldiers led him, him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters. They called together the whole battalion. They clothed him in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. They began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. They were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided the garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. The centurion was transformed at the foot of the cross, and that's where each and every one of us can find transformation. And that's the cure for theoretical Christianity. It's encountering Jesus at the foot of the cross. If we need transformation in our life, it's not by trying harder. It's not by trying the latest self-help book. It's by meeting Jesus at the cross, yielding to his Holy Spirit, allowing his power to transform us. It's not about what we do. It's not about our efforts. It's about Christ in us, the hope of glory. So I think each and every one of us, each and every day, we need to run back to the cross to remember who we are, then in our heart of hearts, we're all broken. We're all desperate for Jesus. God sent his son to the earth so that we could have life, so that we would no longer be the same people that we were. So we'd have a transformed mission, a transformed identity, and a transformed heart. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you that while we were yet sinners, while we were your enemies, while we had no interest in following after you, you came to the earth to die on the cross for us so that we might have life, so that we would be transformed. Lord, help each and every one of us. Maybe there's someone here who doesn't know you. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they turn their lives over to you. Lord, for those who are believers today who have been transformed, let us not grow complacent. 
Let us not move beyond the cross. Let it be our attraction. May it be the thing that draws us together. May it be the thing that transforms our hearts. Because we know, Lord, that's the only thing that can transform us. Lord, help us never to move beyond your cross. Help it to be our glory, our hope, and our salvation. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.